Well, hello everyone. I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Erin Krask to our podcast. She's been a great friend to HCI for some time now, so you may have heard her name in the past, but let me tell you a little bit more about her. Erin is a people science enthusiast and industrial organizational psychology consultant focused on building positive and productive candidate and employee experiences that allow organizations to harness the power of their people and provide opportunities to thrive. She leverages her cross-industry consulting experience and pragmatic and applied business experience to transform people strategy through deeper people insight using science and data. Erin is a managing consultant on the solution specialization team at SHL. Lots of S's there, (laughs) Erin. With deep knowledge and experience in areas including employee selection, workplace assessment, engagement, performance management, succession planning, and leadership development. I'll tell you what, Erin, just your, you know, few sentences about your professional life is so poignant, you know, moving into 2022 for where we are today and and your skill set, wow, is is perfect for what the our workplaces are dealing with. We're so glad to have you here with us. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. What a privilege this is and I'm so excited thinking into this next year about what we can do in the workplace to create better environments for our people and make great talent decisions. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. So Erin, before we wrap up today, I'm going to ask you like an offbeat question about what you've done over the holidays. So stay tuned for that, but we might as well get right into some content here. So let me ask first, I know that a lot of the work that you've done is around the potential, right? Uh, Thinking about our high performers, our high potential workforce members. So before we get started, I want to kind of level set for our audience to just give us some context about what we mean when we use that term, because some people might have different meanings behind it. So what qualities differentiate high performers from others? And how has this changed and how has it maybe stayed the same since the onset of the pandemic? What a great question. Thanks, Cindy, for asking that. And we do see a ton of definitions out there. And when I work with clients or when I was internal working in an organization, we would ask ourselves the same thing. How do we define potential and how do we embed this definition deep inside our organization? And there's a ton of research out there. And the answer really is there's no one right answer. The most important thing for an organization is to land on a solid definition of high potential and have consistency and buy-in inside their organization about what that means. At SHL, our model of potential includes aspiration to achieve a higher level role, ability to take on the responsibility and grow into that role, and engagement or that desire to opt in and that motivation to be part of where the organization is going. And when I think about what that means from a competence perspective, 
although some competencies are more important than ever, things like resilience, communication, especially when so many people are remote, authentic connection, and the ability to pivot, we find that these things haven't actually changed all that much from a pre-pandemic world. Rather, it's more the context in which all of our leaders are operating that has changed. And that's where the real opportunity lies, is to think not about what classic leadership skills and competencies we need to be developing, but how do we help leaders thrive in different challenging environments? I love that you said, um, you know, where we're at right now is really not the classic leadership, but how do we support our leaders to thrive, especially in the world that we're in right now. So that was a great way to kind of end that last piece around definition around potential. So so I guess, you know, as we talk today, we can really ground our conversation in this idea. You mentioned it, I'm kind of mentioning it, this new world of work where people are more remote, right? And strategies are more fluid than ever, ever changing. And there's really no roadmap or historical context on which to draw our next practices. So in this new environment, this new world of work, what then, and you mentioned that in your answer to that last question there, what leadership qualities then are most important for leaders in this uh, state that we're in now? Yes. So many of the leadership qualities that we've talked about historically still resonate today. And the way I think we frame them might be a little bit different um, or kind of the context. And like I mentioned previously, the context in which we're thinking about them is different. But a couple of things stand out to me. If I had to just list my top few most important qualities for leading in the new world of work, the first would be radical transparency. And this is the idea that Things are changing. Things are fluid. Business decisions will be different in two weeks from now than they were yesterday. And great examples of that are when companies put in place return to work plans, and then they have to shift and take a step back because maybe there's a new variant, something like that. And as leaders, just owning and explaining these changes, saying, yep, that's what I said a couple of weeks ago. We have some new information. This is what that new information is. Now we have a new decision. So this is where we're going. And bringing people with you and trusting your people to come on that journey with you, that radical transparency, hugely important. Second, rapid and urgent communication. So this is so important to act now and keep your people in the loop as quickly as possible and know that errors of action are often better than errors of inaction when it comes to communication. Third is empathy. And this is the idea that as leaders, part of our role is to authentically connect with our people and to listen and to hear and feel with them. And, and people have really different struggles. And we as leaders, we're not therapists. That's not our role. Our organizations often have EAPs and proper places to send people to. But being a place for your people to come to you and have the psychological safety to share, I'm really struggling or I need help and know that there are no consequences for having that human experience that empathetic leadership is a huge quality of what success looks like in this new world of work. 
Yeah. And I've been hearing a lot about empathy. I teach classes with HCI. So we talk a lot about that in many of our courses when we think about leadership qualities that I really loved the radical transparency, but I also loved this comment that you made about rapid, urgent communication. I'm a huge, I'm a firm believer in over-communicate. I, I've had people say, you you really communicate a lot. I'm like, yes, but you get the message, don't you? So, but I loved that you said errors of action are better than none. Right. And I think there was a little bit more to that statement, but wow, like what a, an aha moment, right? Errors of action are better than doing nothing, right? I'd rather, to your point, like, yeah, I know two weeks ago I told you this, but now it's changing. Um, really, really poignant again when we think about this new way of working. So thanks yeah. for sharing those three. Um, you bet. Uh, and Cindy, I think that when we think about those errors of inaction, so often people just want to know what's happening because we have such a lack of control. And just to your point, that over-communication gives them a sense of control that they didn't have without that, to know what's happening in their world and why. People crave that. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. And I'm, yeah, even in a lot of our organizations right now with rapid change, using like change management models, a big piece of that is communicate, communicate, communicate. Let us know what's going on. And I think now, especially more than ever, like you said, rapid changes in general, it's going to be really helpful to know. So this makes me think. So if I think about, you know, there's a lot of organizations out there who have really well-researched leadership competency models and best-in-class measurement and development practices. Um, and some of those are often remarkably bad at developing a deep bench of leaders ready to step in and succeed in a critical role. So aside from future potential and past performance, what do you think, Erin, how can we do better when it comes to that high potential identification, slating really for that right role and differentiated development? Yes. So in addition to competencies, in addition to that future performance, which we often measure with assessment in addition to you know the aspiration, there's this idea of role context. So we can have leaders who want to grow and move to the next level. We can have leaders who are displaying the right kinds of competence. But business operating environments can be really different across organizations. They can be really different across functions within organizations. Some organizations might be in growth mode versus um, maybe there's an organization that has been in decline and they're in a turnaround mode, or some organizations are highly risk averse versus risk taking. And understanding the context in which you're operating is a huge piece of fit. So not just does my leader have the competence to navigate ambiguity, but do they have the ability to navigate ambiguity in a highly contentious market, in a more stable market, in a growing or a declining uh, you know, environment. And so being able to identify what are the kinds of contexts or what are the kinds of challenges that that leader is going to experience in the role and how do I make sure that they not only have ability and aspiration, but they also fit that context. And that's something we can also measure. It's something we can ask leaders, survey their experiences they can grow in those areas too, to grow into a context. So knowing that layer of context really is that moderating variable between the competence and future success. 
Yeah. I appreciate that you said, you know, that the context part is such a big piece of this. And I know for a lot of our leaders, you know, perhaps newer generations into leadership, what they're managing through right now is so new for them, right? It's so new for them. And so I love that you also said, you know, not only can we interview for what are their competencies, but also how do we train, right? How do we provide those skills for the future? Because I, you know, yes, this might be brand new for many of our leaders, but it's going to continue. As you said, change is going to be there. Different difficulties, different challenges will exist. So thanks for sharing a little bit more about that with us. So I think we have a better understanding of the role of context and the value that that brings to understanding fit and um, slating above and beyond potential and performance So how do you measure, I think this is a really great question, how do you measure all of these factors, right? I mean, how do we start collecting data, the potential, the aspiration, the performance, the context fix, et cetera, et cetera? Yes. Great question. The answer is start slow and grow over time. (laughs) Most organizations are starting from a place where they have manager surveys and Uh, When we're thinking about all of the leaders that might be a high potential in the future or all of the individual contributors that might be tagged as a high potential, oftentimes we have some sort of survey of managers and say, what do you think of this person? Where should they grow? What should they do next? Uh, And I think the place to start is just by bringing in multiple measures. So let's think about past performance and let's think about that manager context. Those are often really important pieces that organizations have a hard time letting go of. But let's also bring in psychometric assessment to measure at a more objective level that aspiration, the current state of skill or behavior, um, potential. We can do that through different kinds of personality or competency measures. We can do that using 360s, simulations, different kinds of development programs might incorporate different kinds of measures. And all of that data can be incorporated into a bigger picture. That way, no one data point is the defining moment where somebody gets tagged as a high potential or not a high potential. There's opportunity to put your best foot forward, opportunity to look at it from multiple lenses, and opportunity to take a holistic picture of each employee and think about how we might best grow them. Yeah. You know, and Aaron, something that stuck out to me on this, uh, one of the classes I do teach with HCI is around people analytics. And oftentimes what I hear, right, is we work in organizations where we're using manager ratings, right? And we want to shift, but then we hear leaders saying something like, we don't trust the data, we don't trust the data. So, and I always like to ask questions to really get our listeners ramped up and like the to-dos, So what would you say might be some strategies that our listeners could use to bring that organization along with us? You mentioned, you know, looking at something like a psychometric assessment. Yeah, I love that you're hearing it from that perspective when you're teaching classes and people are starting to ponder and wonder, you know, am I doing this the right way? Or what if I don't trust the data and how do I get there? So we know that people are thinking about it. And some of the actions that I've seen really help bring leaders along the journey with us are some of those communication change management pieces we've talked about, but also new opportunities to come in and continue to provide voice along the way. And that might be in ways like conducting structured interviews that are driven 
based on some of that assessment data. So they have a chance to audit some of those findings themselves in a structured behavioral interview context. We've also seen leaders take part in business simulation experiences. So they're helping to gather data and rate employees in a simulated business environment where those participants are being asked to engage in tasks they might perform in that next role. So they're not just making a manager rating about what do I see as this person's future potential, but they're starting to get a window into what that actually looks like. And then also engaging those leaders in development planning and coaching, calibration training, all of these data points, all of these different actions that bring leaders on the journey, open the door for better and more reliable participation by those leaders and more objective measurement along the way. It's so interesting. I was just talking with a really good friend of mine and he's looking to hire a high level person on his team. And, and, you know, my brain still goes to, well, remember behavioral interviewing, (laughs) you know, and asking those questions like, what have you done? But when you mention, you know, leaders taking part in a simulated experience, right? It gives us an opportunity to see or to have our own experiences on taking on tasks, like literally taking on tasks. And you not only get to get a sense for, hey, am I going to like this? Am I good at this? Is this what I, you know, cut out for or do I need some work on it? So it really gives us an opportunity to see where we are as well as observe where others are. So I love that that mention about uh, providing that as an opportunity. But Erin, this does make me think because, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, this is great, but I know that things have been so, and I'm clapping my hands. If you can hear that, I'm like, I know things have been so tough over the last 18 months, right? As we head into 2022, we know people have been leading through crisis, right? That's been there every day. And some of those leadership qualities you were talking about earlier, finding their feet with those. So if we had this opportunity to re-examine the way we design development programs and different resources going forward, if you had a chance to do that from scratch in this new world, what would it look like for you or what would you focus on? Yes, this question is so much fun and it allows us to brainstorm in new and big and different ways. And when I think about this question, the The thing that always rattles around in my mind is how do we balance differentiated development with development at scale in large organizations? And the answer I always keep coming back to when I think about starting from scratch and what would I do is focused honestly back on the classic 70-2010 model of development where 70% of growth happens on the job, 20% is growing with feedback and learning from others, and 10% is formal education, going to a class and and learning that way. That formal education, critically important, but to stick, it needs to be surrounded by those experiential components. And so when I think about that at scale, I think as organizations get back into development or think about how do I leverage this moment in crisis or this crisis moment in history to grow my people, thinking about things like special projects, bring leaders all together into an environment where they have somebody who's been living through the crisis, tell a story. Let me share with you the experience I had, link it to the critical competency that we're trying to grow. You know, this is what I mean when I say resiliency, empathetic leadership, over communication, tell the story and then have those people 
jump in and be extra hands on these projects, have them create dedicated time in their workspace to grow in these cross-functional project teams, um, learn from others, engage in group mentoring. Those are the kinds of experiences that help differentiated development happen at scale and growth happen in a really natural and organic way that also solves some of the biggest challenges your business is facing. I love that you enjoy brainstorming. I love that you're like, I love this question because I think that's so valuable for our listeners to, you know, to have that opportunity to kind of dream, you know, what's that magic wand? What does that look like for you? What could this look like? And again, you know, of course, leveraging some research and what you've seen, but I I love from your perspective, like, hey, here's what our new vision could look like in this new world. But it makes me think, We know right now, and I hate using the trend word, but there's been this trend word, the great resignation, right? So it does make me think about development opportunities. And there's, I think, research is, there's been a lot of research as of late, but I know, you know, there has been some research that is showing like over 80% of employees would stay in their job longer if there were more development opportunities. Um, And I think along with that, though, is there's often this ambiguity, as you may have even mentioned uh, in your last response there, about who owns this. You talked about the 70-20-10. So who owns it? Who drives it? Who's finding those development opportunities for employees? Um, And then on top of that, The research also suggests that high-performing employees and low-performing employees have different takes on on who should own that development. So what's your take on that? You know, between HR and managers and executives and the employee, who would you say, Erin, really owns that development? Yeah, this was such a neat project. SHL had the opportunity to work with Lighthouse Research and Advisory and answer this very question and take a data lens to it. And Um, What we found in that research was that high-performing employees take a more balanced approach about who they believe owns development. So they believe if you're a high performer, you think, yes, I own driving development. My manager owns the role of supporting me and helping me get to the right opportunities. Uh, HR owns kind of the structure of making sure there's a framework to operate in. Executives own making sure that we're operating in a culture that looks to grow our people and supports that kind of behavior. And those high-performing employees are seeing that and they're driving their own development forward, relying on that context. And when we think about the lower-performing employees, those folks are actually they don't just push the um, ownership to others. They say, it's only on me or it's only on others. We see kind of that dichotomy. So have that more balanced approach. I understand what my role is. I need to drive it. I need to own it. I rely on others and this structure and this framework and the organizational support to grow in this way. So it is a real co-owned process. What we're finding from those high performing employees, co-owned process. So employees must take the initiative Managers must be encouraging HR and training departments have to develop policies and support and framework and executives must embrace that culture. 
it's the same slang as we talk about raising children, right? It takes a village. Yes. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the beauty is, you know, I always think about this. The beauty is that there are such opportunities today between podcasts and webcasts and white papers and, and YouTube and all of these great resources that we can take a little bit more control of our development or find those resources a little bit easier. And again, along with your mention of learning and development, you know, within your organization as well, but there's so many opportunities now, which is so great. So, you know, and learning and development is a big passion of mine too. So, you know, I may not feel as overwhelmed, plus I'm not getting ready to do something like this tomorrow. But as we think about our listeners, and this could feel a little bit overwhelming or a little bit daunting to begin to prepare or implement or even reinvent their high potential identification in those development efforts, what are your suggestions, Erin? Where should someone start or how can this even be broken down into manageable chunks or pieces? Yes. So Cindy, you actually mentioned change management is a huge part of all of this work up front in our conversation. And that's where I would start. I would say, come up with a vision for what you want the future state to look like. If we were operating in an environment where people were owning their own development, we had organizational consistency in the way we defined, measured, and grew potential, what would that look like? Then say, okay, how do we change manage to get to that point using a really strong change management process? And then I would just go through five core steps. One is audit where you are today. Where are there gaps? Where might you already be doing a good job? Two is determine how you will identify potential in the future. So that's creating your model and deeply embedding it in your organization so there's consistency. Three is determining how you will measure that. What combination of tools and what role will managers have in that rating process? What will you use to measure that consistently across the organization? Four is how will you communicate with leaders to develop them? How will you grow your people? Will it be in programs, individual development plans, some sort of differentiated development? What will that look like? And then five, how regularly will you engage in this cycle? So we know that talent works in cycles and that we need to measure high potential talent. Some people do it every year. Some people have every other year. Some people do it more than once a year. That seems like it might be a lot. So just kind of figuring out how often you'll engage in that cycle of identifying and measuring your folks. So those are kind of the steps that I would take. And it's really driven by vision and strong change management. As you were mentioning these, and I'm going to repeat these back in just a second, but it, it, that saying, um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's what I think of when you mention these pieces, audit where you're at, ID, uh, identify a potential in the future. What are those measurements? How are we going to communicate this and plan on your cycle? I mean, those are all perfect steps and recognizing that it is a journey, right? That it isn't something that can be overnight, especially with what leaders are managing today. Um, as we enter into the new year and we're still managing some of that new uh, world normal <laughs> that, we're, that we're in. Well, gosh, thank you, Erin. This was so enlightening, again, especially as we kick off 2022. I think a lot of folks are focused on uh, learning and development as we move into the new year and we think about plans for the new year. So this is really timely for us to get going with this. But as I started out our conversation, I mentioned to you, I was going to come back at the end here and ask you maybe about uh, traditions that you might have throughout your holidays. So we just 
finished another season. Check, check, check. Um, Aaron, what type of traditions or, or regular events do you sometimes have throughout the holiday season? Would you be willing to share those with us? Yes, I would love to share a couple of really magical things that get me into the holiday spirit. And I really leveraged and really leaned on this year um, to, to get through and I had the opportunity to see some family um, in a safe way. That was a real privilege. And the things we do to get in the holiday spirit together are um, listen to Vince Guaraldi's Charlie Brown Christmas album, which is just what we've been doing my whole life. And also eat Frango mints, which are an old <laughs> classic from Marshall Fields. I'm a Chicago <laughs> native and they are near and dear to my heart if you know yes. what they are. Oh my gosh. I picture the box. I don't know. Are they mint? Are those mint? Um, <laughs> yes, they're mint. Yes. I'm not a big mint fan, but I can picture it. Um, I grew up in the Midwest also, so I'm familiar with Marshall Fields. But oh my gosh. Well, that sounds great. And I it sounds like it got you all in the holiday yes. spirit and continued you through. And, and like you had mentioned too, same, we get to see family a little bit more this year. So hopefully that was lovely as well. Yes. What a gift. Good. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you, Erin. We really enjoyed listening to your point of view and thinking about high potential and high performing and thinking about our leaders and the in our new work world um, and sharing some really great tips for us. We were so pleased to have you with us today. Thank you, Cindy. It was my privilege to be here with you. Awesome. Well, thanks, Nine to Thrive listeners. We will be back in this new year with additional new episodes. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For Nine to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, Happy New Year. We appreciate you for tuning in. Have a great day.